Welcome to No Challenges, remaining live from the Australian Open. It is the Friday of qualifying here, a couple days to go before the main draw. Actually, qualifying should be finishing today, but it's mm. not finishing today because of a couple of delays of weather, both uh, on fire and water. Very elemental here at the Australian Open 2020, and I'm delighted to be joined by one of the key elements of British tennis coverage, Stu Fraser, tennis correspondent for The Times. Sue, thanks for coming on NCR again. I think it's your second time on. Yeah, I think last time I actually spoke to you, I must confess, I was lying back in my bed uh, just as I spoke to you over Skype. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, here we are in Melbourne now uh, in interview room four, is it? Yeah. yeah. They've given us an interview room, so uh, that was very kind of them. So, uh, We're near the train tracks, you may hear a train go by occasionally. Yeah, yeah, but more of a formal setting. Yeah. Um, you've been in, we've both been in Australia all month, but you've been in a couple of the cities during more smoke issues than I have. I was in Brisbane and then in Adelaide before coming here arriving in Melbourne on Thursday. So I haven't really been anywhere that's been affected by the smoke directly at all yet mm. um, during when I've been there. But you have. I'm just curious, sir, if you can talk through your experience uh, first in Sydney and then in Melbourne, what it's been like being in these cities as uh, when the winds do blow the wrong way and the smoke comes into them, what it's just like from a sensory level. Yeah, so I think actually... It was funny, I had a bit of an experience last night uh, when I left the site or, or walked outside for the first time in a few hours in that I walked outside and the air felt really clear and I really noticed it because it's become normal for me to be clearly breathing in you know, poor air quality over the last couple of weeks and I really noticed it last night and that's what made me sort of realise Crikey, it has been quite bad the last couple of weeks. It was um, it was quite enjoyable to you know take a few large gasps and not feel it's <laughs> damaging your your lungs or anything like that. But yeah, so I arrived on January the second into Sydney, and I yeah I obviously have been following the bushfire crisis from home, and I think midway through December I realised this could actually well prove an issue uh, during the sort of Australian summer of tennis, and. On the flight into Sydney, I purposely booked a, f- a seat on the left-hand side of the plane because I knew if we were coming in from the north, I'd get that great view out the left-hand side of the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House. So Sa- came in. Savvy traveller there. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. pretty clued up with that sort of stuff. I'd <laughs> check the flight plans and stuff like that, but I, I, I will not bore you with that. But basically, uh, came in, looking out the left window, and you could just see this haze, and you couldn't really see the bridge and the Opera House that well at all. It was... Uh, yeah, it wasn't great. So I got to my hotel, looked out the window, and you could really notice it. Um, so that's when I sort of tried to instruct myself more on sort of air quality readings, what exactly the measurements mean, PM 2.5 measurements, stuff like that. And yeah, they weren't great in Sydney. They were okay. And by sporting levels, there was a cricket test that same week as the first week of the ATP Cup, or the first few days. Uh and in sporting terms, the readings were okay. Uh, cricket Australia, I think, or the International Cricket Council deemed it to be 300 the level. And um, in the first few days, it didn't go above that. But then there was a day, uh, I think it was the Wednesday, um, 
that would have been a rest day for Great Britain and between their final group match, the quarterfinal, where I woke up in the hotel room and straight away I could smell the smoke. And indoors, you could smell Indoors, that. in yeah. my room, no windows open um, and it's very strong. And I was sort of dozing in and out, and but I was sort of a bit conscious as well and I was like, this is strange, what's this all about? This? And then eventually when I came to, I realised, I sort of went to the window, looked out and the haze was really bad. Now, this was about half eight, nine o'clock, and play started at ten that day. And I thought, yeah, play can't go ahead in this. Looked at the readings, they were in the 400s. Um, and this is that that was not just in the city centre, that was the nearest measuring station to the site. Uh, imagine my surprise then when I put on the television and play it starts, it starts as normal, continues. And yes, there's a roof over the Kenros Wall Arena now, but it's a canopy roof. Mm. It's open from the outside. Um, and I'm like, it's bad out there. Because I did go outside just for a few minutes just to feel what it was like. And you could feel it. remember my eyes stinging a bit. You could feel it in my uh, chest a little. Yeah. And I'm not someone who's suffered from any asthma or respiratory issues before. Um, and also I've been to China several times. And their quality can be bad over there. But I just, I've just felt it's a different type of air quality over here. And then that day I asked the ATP, I was puzzled as to why it was going ahead, asked the ATP for an explanation. So some more scientific reasoning at, um, as to what went behind their decision and for a measurement, which would be very helpful as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm still waiting now. Um, so it's been... It's actually been quite frustrating the last couple of weeks. Obviously, I'm sure we'll go into what happened here in Melbourne, but because I've really sort of tried to learn quite a lot about it. I have to. I'm writing about it quite a lot. And it just seems to me uh, like there's the sort of heads in the sands when it comes to tennis officials here. Yeah. No, I mean, I will say when I first inquired about this, I was doing a story on it that came out the same week, week of Brisbane, uh, where I was, and I sent a message to Australian Open PR, uh, basically being like, hey, is there a statement, like, you have a contingency plan, if things get bad in Sydney, if things are bad in Melbourne, what are you going to do? Um, and I'll say that the, I got a message back from one of the PR leaders here who sent me a photo of a blue sky in Sydney being like, nothing wrong here. Yeah. That's the first response I got was a photo of a blue sky, and I was like, that seems lovely, that it's a nice, clear-looking day out in Sydney, but also just beside the point. And just that was seeming to try to say, like, you know, nothing to see here was the basic tone of that message. And then, like, yeah, let's skip ahead. I mean, the, it wasn't bad the rest of the time in Sydney, right? And did the players, were they affected in that match and the uh, whatever match that was on that day that played through the... Well, we did ask, um, I can't remember, I think it was the, really to apologise, I can't remember his name. And when the question was asked, his answer was, uh, let's just say it, He'd clearly been briefed before yeah. it. It was clear uh, for such a low low ranked player. He was in the four hundreds or five hundreds or whatever. It was quite surprising to have such a direct and succinct answer straight away to a question Candid like answer, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they said it didn't affect them, um, but there's no doubt the air quality readings would suggest that there would be some impact. And then you've got to also wonder whether it was okay for staff, um, officials, 
than anyone else involved on set. So this is something that we can, I guess this is maybe an opening to get into it here that I think maybe fans don't always appreciate or readers, followers of the sport, is how often in press conferences players have been briefed by communications official from either tour, sometimes ITF, about like, hey, here are the sort of controversial hot button issues you might be getting here, and here's a way you could possibly address them. They don't necessarily tell them you have to say this, but they give them, you know, the sort of the, the company line. And I remember this happening a couple years ago here at Market Court when the discussion was happening about Market Court Arena. It was just like the language from the WTA players, I think specifically, or maybe all players, I can't remember, was very similar. Like they clearly were ta- had similar talking points they were working with. And you'll, you know, I've seen this happen where communications officials will be chatting with the player uh, before they come to the microphone. And just, and you know, and sometimes it's, just, it's not always, that can seem like puppeteering and it can be. But also sometimes it's just like there are things they're unaware of. You know, if they don't know, oh, hey, I don't know, Maria Sharapova tested positive this week. You're going to get asked about that. I mean, you would assume they would know that. But other smaller things. Hey, there's been, you know, complaints that not enough women are getting on center court. Hey, there's, you know, whatever other kind of issues might come up to try to prepare them. So some of that's due diligence. Some of that can be probably overstepping. But that gets to an issue both you and I were talking about on Twitter in relation to the ATP Cup. But I think it also relates to the smoke is that. It's been interesting hearing the official TV commentary coming from Australia during these events, uh, both for ATP Cup and starting off with the Channel 9 coverage of the Australian Open as well, which is Australian Open TA produced, is how uncritical, just from not even just being not negative, but how not critical from a neutral point of view, just, you know, critiquing uh, this coverage has been and how it's becoming more obvious maybe than it usually is with the lack of mention of the smoke and the fires and everything like that. In terms of the affecting play context, not in the fundraising context, they've been beating that drum loud, which is totally fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but how much so many commentators are not neutral or are sort of speaking in a way that will not offend their employer, who is ultimately TA. And it comes more widely to the world feeds of both tours, which are both, you know, if you hear someone on a WTA world feed or an ATP world feed, that person is employed at the pleasure of the tour. And more and more of those broadcasts are being used uh, in lieu of locally based commentators from a tennis channel or from a Eurosport who might be uh, more independent. And you, we were just both saying we've noticed a, a difference there. Yeah, and it's a real problem, I feel. Uh, it's, it's a conflict. Um, I have watched some of the television coverage here. I've listened to what the commentators have had to say. I thought the coverage of the ATP Cup, it was an enjoyable event, but it was overly positive, the, the comments about it. Um, a couple of times I heard the, uh, the sort of term unqualified success. Well, mm. I'm sorry, that's not the case. I mean, there are flaws with it. There are things to be fixed. I think you, ultimately in time it could be become you know something quite good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still believe that it should merge with the, with the Davis Cup at some point, but that's another discussion. We won't go into that. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's almost like, uh, watching a propaganda channel at times. Um, a Pravda feel to it, yeah. It, honestly, I, I, the, the, the coverage is just overly positive and I watched the draw uh, ceremony the here uh, last night. Um, draw which, reveal. You draw it's reveal. And, and we'll do another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so many issues to discuss. But um, that was broadcast on Channel 9 Gem, which is one of the... Uh, Sort of side channels that Channel 9 have over here, but it's on Freeview. And for an hour, it was like a preview of the tournament, a lot of talk about the draw, 
uh, or, or a lot of talk previewing the draw, maybe not enough talk actually about the draw when yeah. uh, they finally revealed it. I think Tennis Australia, sidebar, quick draw reveal topic, I think Tennis Australia does the worst draw of the four mm-hmm. because in New York, they also do the reveal. But in New York, they give the commentators, the pundits, a look ahead at the draw. So they've had time, maybe half an hour, an hour or so, to actually look at the draw and sort of come up with some coherent thoughts. In Australia, they, they show it to the pundits at the same time as everybody else. And so they're kind of scrambling on their feet to come up with instant reactions. Like, look at this screen of 32 names. What do you see? Yeah, they're like, yeah. uh, I see. Uh, and sometimes they do well. Sometimes they're just sort of stammering. It's tough. It's, and it's just the worst of both worlds when draws should be open in public. We've talked about this on NCR before. Just to avoid any speculation. Because I don't believe that draws are being rigged. But I do yeah. think that it is important to keep it transparent and open yeah, because absolutely. you can't shut down those whispers when you do it behind closed doors. Yeah, no, there's a big uh, sort of online call as there always is with such so as like that. Um, you know, s- plenty of suggestions that draws are rigged. I don't believe that's the case either. I think it's pretty ridiculous to suggest that. But uh, that something like that draw reveal done in an official draw room a few hours ago somewhere in the bowels of Melbourne Park not a good look for me. No. Anyhow, so we get to uh, Melbourne Park, on, or you get to Melbourne, Tuesday morning, first day of qualifying, you're already in town that morning, what do you see that morning before play starts? Because that was when people really started, that was I think the worst day they'd had in Melbourne so far all year. Well, what I saw the night before stunned me. I went out for dinner at 9 o'clock to a restaurant, came out an hour and a half later, it was, it was clear when I went in, I checked into my apartment, it was, it was quite high up, so I've got a good view over Melbourne and stuff, it was quite clear, you could see a haze in the background, but the, the sort of landlady, uh, when she was helping me check in, she said, oh yeah, it's looking quite good tonight, and then came out of the restaurant an hour and a half later, half ten, and the smoke and haze had just descended, mm. you could see it around the street lights, went up to my apartment, and yeah, it, you... I'm actually looking at the Melbourne Cricket Ground as I speak, which is a sort of large, one of the world's largest cricket stadiums, possibly the largest. And I can see that from my accommodation normally when it's clear. I would say it's about 600, 700 metres away as the crow flies. Um, could not see that at all. Mm. And I thought, right, could have a problem for tomorrow if this hangs around. Woke up in the morning, woke up quite early uh, for some reason, but 6.30, went out onto my balcony for a look, and it was worse. Um, I don't know if you saw that video I posted on Twitter, but you know the buildings just across from me, they're covered in smoke. Um, and at that point, it's three and a half hours to go until qualifying. So I was expecting, say, by, I don't know, eight, half eight, there'd be something issued from the tournament because players playing at 10 a.m. would be arriving early to practice, to prepare, uh, spectators as well. And it seemed a bit slow. I wasn't hearing anything. I saw some of the players were complaining about that as well, not quite sure what was going on. Um, the message eventually came out that play, practice had been suspended, play was suspended by an hour. But came, Only an hour. Yeah, yeah, which is not enough. I mean, listen, Craig Tiley came out last night and explained that they're doing their own measurements on site. Um and the rest of us, to be honest, are having to go by other measurements from other websites, um, which, to my knowledge, are actually quite fairly accurate. Yeah. And the CBD measuring station is not far from here. Um, you know, going by these numbers, it was not safe to play here at that time. By their it metric. wasn't. So we, we skip ahead a little bit. Tyler came out last night here, Thursday night, 
and said that they, which we did not know what the what their limits were. They did not reveal this until Thursday night. Um, said that their limits were 200 on the PM 2.5 scale, which measures certain particulate in the air. I believe above or smaller than 2.5. I forget it's bigger. So I think it's smaller than 2.5 millimeters uh, in size. And yeah, but we didn't know. I mean, they didn't. We could see there at the same time, City of Melbourne and the EPA, the Environmental Agency Protection Agency, I believe it's the same as in the U.S. Um, in Victoria, were issuing statements saying stay indoors, close your windows, keep your pets inside. And yet, meanwhile, they were putting the tennis players out on court um, without much knowledge. And that's one of the things that they, I think, one of the fairest complaints is they were not, there was not transparency as far as we know from them. And they certainly didn't, the players who you spoke to, I believe, did not feel like things had been clearly communicated, what the risk levels were. And, you know, they're not scientists either. Uh, they're, you know, most of them no. didn't go to, almost none of, very few went to college even. And so, you know, they're just going for what they see on the internet, which is the best they can do and not knowing what the long-term health risks are of any of this stuff. Um Anyway, just to skip ahead, so you were watching matches go on, and things really seemed to spike, obviously, um, when Delilah Yakupovic, Slovenian player, uh, was leading in her match, won the first set, was about to force the second set tie break, and then she doubled over and collapsed yeah. to her knees in a coughing fit. Yep. And actually, if we have some audio from her, maybe we'll put it in yeah. here. I was having chest pain, and uh, on the match, like after 25 minutes, I think, or so, I was also getting difficulty, like like an asthma attack, which I don't have. So I called the physio on the court. I was getting better. And uh, after some time, uh, I think in the end of the second set, uh, the physio came again. So I, was, I thought it would be better, but the points were a bit longer. So I, I just couldn't breathe anymore and I just fell on the floor and I couldn't, I couldn't stand up. Absolutely. Do you think it was fair that they should have asked you to play today? I think it was not fair because um, it, it's, it's not healthy also for us. And uh, I was surprised. I thought we will not be playing today. But uh, I mean, we don't have much choice. If they don't put us on the court, maybe we get fine. I don't know. But um, yeah, so it would be maybe better to wait to see if tomorrow is better. So they have still time. It's not like rushing. It's first day. Do you feel angry? I'm angry and sad. I don't know how to say. I'm more sad because I had the win and I just didn't, couldn't finish it. So, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit sad. <laughs> have you ever experienced conditions like that during no, your No, never. Career? Never. I yeah. never had, uh, I don't have asthma even, and I never had uh, breathing problems. I actually like heat, so I don't know. So I don't know. Was it quite frightening because watching you seemed to be unable to breathe. It was uh, really bad. I, I, I never experienced something like this and I was really scared. I was scared that I was like collapsed. So um, that's why I went on the floor because I couldn't walk anymore. So I just uh, went on the floor. So when I came down to Melbourne Park, I could feel it. I could feel it in the air and I thought, players are going to struggle today. This is still quite bad. And as you said before, the advice from local authorities, people stay indoors, you know, construction workers were downing tools, local horse racing meetings were being cancelled. But here we are still playing yeah. tennis. City recreation centres are being closed and things yeah. like that. But yeah. One of the most physical sports in the world, we're still playing here. Um, not under a roof. Um, so it, it, it was only a matter of time before a player was going to struggle like that. Um and then it became apparent that Yukupovic was struggling. Um, now, someone said to me a, 
couple of days ago when I was telling them about uh, that particular match. They said, oh, she must have been losing at the time, was she? I said, no. No. She was a set up and a point away from taking it into the second set tiebreak on serve. Um, you know, this is the thing. This is not just someone looking for a get out. She was clearly struggling, gasping for air, down on her knees. I think she said after that she felt like she could breathe better, lower, closer to the ground. I don't know if that makes any yeah. sense. But at least in that moment, yes. she was thinking, the smoke is up high. I need to get low just to gasp for air. Yeah, and you could see the inhaler in the hand of the doctor who was out there. And she's never used an inhaler before. She's not had any breathing issues. Um, And then over the course of the day, it became apparent that other players were struggling. We saw Eugenie Bouchard at one point. Um, A couple of us spoke to Liam Brody after as well, who actually Liam, of course, he's not one of the the sort of highly ranked players, but fitness is one of his strengths for sure. And he said he'd never felt anything like it. Yeah. You know, after an hour and thirteen minutes out there, he was absolutely gone. Um, there was, this is the thing you can you, you can try and set a mark and go by this number, but I'm sorry, players, regardless of what the number was, and I'm still waiting at this moment to see the numbers. Like that's now coming up for seventy two hours after. Yeah, I've not seen any numbers yet from on site. Um, if players are struggling on it, there's a problem. They, they, Tyler said, and we can get to what Tyler said next because he spoke a couple days later. Um, and he said that 200 was sort of their absolute stop limit, which is already pretty well into the sort of very poor category in the ratings of what uh, the uh, air quality is. I mean, it's already in colors, it's sort of the purple color mm-hmm. they use, um, at least the sites I've been using. You know, but he said they would start looking at 97. I mean, plenty of people, and it's not just the athletes, it's, you know, officials. There was a ball kid, I believe, who fainted, which has happened in the past here with, you know, hot weather days, but also Tennis Australia has been notably inhumane on that front too in 2014 mm-hmm. with the comments from Dr. Tim about how humans should be fine if we were raised on the savannas of Africa to hunt antelope in these conditions or whatever nonsense he said. Um, you know, yeah, there's a, there's a clear disconnect there or a clear, I think, lack of empathy. Mm-hmm. I, I think we noticed, let's hear a couple clips from Craig Tiley, and I'll try to put in the one where he says basically players who are having problems or implies that they're the unfit ones. And then I sort of call him out on that and he tried to walk that back a bit. Mm. But yeah, here's here's Craig Tiley. So coming in, we knew that there was going to be a standard we'd have to set. At the same time as that, we also came to learn during that journey before we started is that uh, getting a reading, choosing a reading that's consistent because you can live in different parts of the world and you could be using AQI, which is an aggregate of AQR, which is air quality rating, air quality index, PM 1.0, PM 2.5, PM 2.5 concentrate. I've, I've come to learn about all these things, and I'm, I don't know how many around this room would know exactly what all of those things are, because it's very complex and confusing. It's made more complex and, and, uh, and is more confusing by going on an app, because there are different apps, there are different websites, They'll give you different readings. They'll give you aggregate readings over 24 hours. They'll give you readings in hourly. Um, and uh, I've had a number of different players or others come to me and show me, and, and we were aware of all the different platforms that exist on these. So we made a decision first to get the expert advice, then to get monitoring devices on, on site, um, because there wasn't any device that provided you with real time. So we have a monitoring device that gives us every four minutes an air quality reading. We also, on the advice, 
uh, made a decision to adopt PM 2.5 concentrate as the platform of measure. Um, and uh, and what that means is that, and it is the most consistent that exists globally. In fact, if you're from a European country, it's the one that's used most commonly in Europe. Um, and then the most important part of that is that's, if that's going to be your platform, then what's the scale going to be? And uh, that came from the Environment Protection Authority, as well as the respiratory therapists, respiratory specialists. Sorry. And uh, the uh, so the EPA in this case have a range. So if it's on a PM 2.5 concentrate, if it's 97 and below, it's good conditions. What conditions you can, anyway, conditions that you can uh, that you can participate and play in. Um, if you go between 97 and 372, that's when uh, you've got to make you've got to make one. You've got to make decisions based on the the, the, the forecast. You've got to make decisions based on the the trends. How many people in the population, or how many players, are presenting themselves with a medical condition relating to re, uh, respiratory issues? If they if they on the high uh, on the scale of high risk because they've got asthmatic related conditions. Um, and then if it's 372 and above, it's hazardous, you know, don't go outside. We made a decision at coming in that we weren't going to choose 372 because there were many sports that have, uh, Olympic Games is a good example, they have 300 as their, uh, as, as 300 after it's hazardous, but below 300 you'll continue and you'll make a, you'll make a judgment call within that, within that range. Um, we chose 200. And the WTA itself is at 300. Uh, that was another one of our considerations because the WTA actually have a policy around air quality. Many tournaments around the world are played in an air quality of a rating between 97 and 372. So we chose as a as a as a as a tournament that 200 will be. So if it went to be 200 and above, you would not be on the court. We would pull everyone off. No no staff out there. No players out there. And that would be for us considered hazardous. If you were between 97 and 200, we would then, that's when we all get in, get in go outside, come in and start, having a, have, start collecting the data and see what decision we need to make. Because we may pull someone off before 200 if the forecast is it keeps going up. People are presenting themselves to the medical practitioners around respiratory issues. And uh, that gives you the data that you can say, okay, you know what, we're not going to wait till 200, we'll pull players off. So, so it's been under 200 the entire time matches have been played during qualifying? It's never gone over 200 during any matches here so far? Yeah, so far when we put the matches on, the matches, there has been nothing over 200. Now keep in mind, I think Ben, it's really important to note is that if you're looking at your phone, you may have a different measure to one that's on site. Because the one on site is the one, and we're happy actually to all of you to actually like show you... Old, Craig, the one on site. Hang on a, se hang on a second. We're happy to show you on site the, um, the actual measure. Uh, the device and and to share with you also in you know in some of the written documentation well, on well your process. ratings we made public I guess as, as they go will the people will be able to see what the air quality rating is by your metric at any given time they will they will they they can see our, our metric absolutely again it's where you're getting the reading from and what's the platform and the source that you're using I could have ten different players come into the office and show you ten different readings from different sources and all of them would be that, that would be their truth. But would you have been able to tell them what your truth was and have them make Yeah, absolutely, and absolutely. you weren't able to do that on Tuesday? No, we were absolutely able to do that. We were absolutely able to do that. We weren't talking numbers. No one knew what 150 was or what 100 was. I don't think anyone in this room were at that point versed on those. We knew where we were at. We, we did, we, we have done 
We have brought the players along on the journey more now because they're able to understand a bit more about it and written to them a couple of times. But, but even that is, it's, it's, it's confusing. I mean, it's complex. It's, you know, this is, we've been through the journey on extreme heat, heat and uh, we, know, uh, we know when players respond to extreme heat, many players in different ways. Mm. You know, fit players, unfit players, in different ways they respond to it. We've had conditions where players have, have um, under the extreme heat conditions, pulled out of matches. Um, so, and, and that was the journey with the players. Sorry, what did you think when you saw players being ill on your court on Tuesday? Sure. Well, from the beginning, we cared deeply about the players. And, and, uh, and, and Dalia, for example, who was the one player who had to retire, uh, met with her the same day. Uh, we're going to have a follow-up catch-up tomorrow as well. Um, and just reiterating, is there anything that we can do? And, and making sure that she's seeing the medical team and, and making sure that she's been taken well care of by the medical team. Uh, that's the most important thing to us for the players. You mentioned fit and unfit players. Do you think she had issues because she was unfit? Is that the players who you think are going to struggle here? I, I can't comment on that. I was referring that to the extreme heat policy because uh, players come in in different conditions, but I can't comment on that as it relates to air. Being in that scrum, which was very crowded, I think more crowded than they realized, and it was a pretty one-topic discussion after a long opening <laughs> filibuster from Tylee about the draw or whatever other promo stuff he wanted to talk about. Uh, was were you convinced or assured by what he had to say? Well, the explanation, as he kept pointing out, was quite complex, and of course he maintains that you know we shouldn't, we as journalists and, and players as well shouldn't be going by different apps and sort of other websites. That I think he was trying should, to muddle it. Yeah, you know, well, kind of gaslighting there. We should be going by the numbers in sight. Well, I'm sorry, this is forty eight hours after this all happened. Why? Were you not out there on Tuesday explaining this to journalists, explaining it to players, because several players have complained that the communication was dreadful. The statement that was issued was very vague. We're monitoring it. No more sort of explanation um, sort of issued as to how exactly you're monitoring it. This number 200, this 200 cutoff, why was that not mentioned on Tuesday? Um yeah, it just smacks, to be honest, of poor preparation, and they were caught out. And, and we uh, don't know for a fact, by the way, that everything was always under 200 when they were playing matches. No. We don't know that. We haven't, I don't think people were monitoring. We don't know, first of all, what their monitors say. And as we, I think we were talking about last night, this is a bit removed from the CBD. It was like by like three city mm. blocks, so yeah, not yeah. pretty close, maybe 500 meters from the CBD. And... You know, maybe it's possible that this is a little bit more low-lying area than the the city, which is a bit more on a hill. Maybe it is clearer down here, uh, you know, than it is in, in the city where things are air is trapped by skyscrapers and things like that. But we don't know. There's a lack of transparency here, and I think that what they need to do is probably to make their readings public, put them on the app, put them somewhere, just have a live updates. They said they get updates from their uh, sensors every four minutes, so there's no reason why that that number shouldn't be made public for the awareness of the uh, public and the players. But another problem I've seen this week is that on Wednesday, they decided to suspend play by three hours from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Now, the previous day had been suspended only by one hour. And from the readings I was seeing in the CBD, and also what I was feeling as well, because you can feel the the differences, Um, conditions on... Uh, Tuesday were far worse than they were on Wednesday. Um, now that could be, of course, uh, the, the sort of longer suspension was, yeah, perhaps they 
were more well informed on it by Wednesday and, and sort of they taken a bit of a hammering PR wise so perhaps they were a bit more careful but I think when you're running a Grand Slam tournament um, you know one of the biggest uh, t- tennis tournaments in the year uh, and that the bushfire crisis has been going on for several months uh, you need to be better prepared to, to deal with something like this um, as I said I, I you know I, I, I noticed mid-December that yeah that obviously I saw that the haze was bad in Sydney and I thought this could be an issue I, I just I, I just cannot believe that they were not better prepared for this and I think the nightmare for them was exactly what happened with Yakupovich or mm. Yakupovich is that you know seeing the visual of a player collapsing in a coffin fit you know and being forced out of the match that way and that was clearly a risk they ran and to me forcing qualifying to go on on that Tuesday when they have, you know, several, a couple spare days to finish on Saturday and even Sunday if they needed to finish qualifying then, it just seemed very, uh, very high risk, low reward yeah. for putting players out there. And, you know, they're not charging attendance. They're not charging for tickets on the Tuesday. It's not like they had to refund anybody if they delayed or canceled play. Uh, but pushing and, and, and in fairness, some players had no issues with it. There were certain matches that went on. Without a hitch, but lots of players, as you said, did struggle. Bernard Tomic, I think, was also using an inhaler. I saw. I'm assuming there were many other players struggling who we didn't talk to. Uh, and you know, yeah, there was some big backlash. And it's also a question of does this happen if it's a main draw thing? Do they just not care about the qualifying players? Do they not have the clout to mm. sort of stick up for it? And so we'll see. It's it's another moment in tennis uh, in the last year. Talked to Vashik Pospisil on NCR last year. Sort of what could be a catalyzing moment for a sort of player representation. Thing And I think you, I believe you asked Kirk Tiley what would happen if a player refused to play or said, I'm not playing, and then would they get defaulted? And he essentially said, probably, not in so many words, yeah. but he said, well, we'll consult medical officials and mm. make a decision. But, you know, there's not a lot of recourse and a lot, not a lot of ways out for these players. And I, I don't, you know, some people are saying, oh, they should just refuse to play. They don't need the money, whatever. I don't, that's not how jobs work generally. You shouldn't have no. to work in unsafe conditions or not get paid. That's not how any industry should work. An argument I've also heard against it is that, oh, well, it's nothing compared to, uh, you know, what other people in Australia are going through at the sure. moment. Why, why, why are you not caring about them? And we all care about them. I mean, it's dreadful what, you know, people in rural New South Wales and Victoria are going through. Uh, homes have been destroyed. Lives have been taken. It's absolutely dreadful. But we can care about both. Yeah. And uh, there were clear issues here this week. And we're here to cover a tennis tournament. Um, exactly. And also, this, uh, with the way the world's going, this obviously could become more of an issue uh, in the future and proper policies need to be in place. Well, that'll do it. Let's see. We'll keep an eye on this and a, and a nose to the air as well to see how things go, see, give you all the reaction from our burning throats if things get worse. And hopefully they don't. I mean, hopefully there's been some rain in the forecast, hopefully the fires maybe subside we'll see and it depends on how the winds blow any given day but i have a feeling that this is probably not the last we've seen in this it will i believe this forecast for sunday is currently pretty bad which is not a uh, it's the last non-competition day well, so so we'll see just one point i want to make something i've learned uh, over here as well is that th- there can be a rough forecast of when it will hit but it's actually very hard to tell exactly how hard it will be um and at the moment, Sunday, it's not looking too good, particularly in the early hours of Sunday morning. Looks like it might improve for Monday. But again, as I say, it, it, it's very hard to forecast exactly how long it will linger for, uh, how bad it will be. So I think we're in for a very interesting few days. Thank you very much for being on here again, Stu. Appreciate it. Thank you.
Thank you guys for listening to No Challenges Remaining. As always, if you want to follow along and you're not listening, you can do so. Follow us on Twitter, NCR underscore tennis. Send us emails, questions, comments, no challenges remaining at gmail.com. And follow Stu on Twitter. Stu underscore Frazier is your handle. Yes, yes, That's yes right. Thank you. So please do follow Stu if you don't already for all your Australian uh, and tennis coverage in general all year round, the latest on Andy Murray, etc. And uh, yeah, it was a year ago, pretty much today, this day of the tournament, Friday before the tournament last year, that the Andy Murray press conference happened. Yeah, it's actually funny because I actually just been in a, a press conference with Yana uh, Conta and the side door was open and went into a room where last year, vivid memory last year after that famous press conference uh, with Andy where he broke down, he went into a separate room to speak with the British press. I'll never forget the image of him sitting down, still wiping tears from his eyes, and the television above his head was flashing up, Andy Murray has announced retirement. Oh, wow. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's great that he's back. Obviously, there are some more problems again, um, but... I'm sure we'll see him again on the tennis court, just how fit he'll be going forward. There's still a bit uncertain. I just hope he's listening to his body well. I mean, I think he's already proven so much in the sport and even mm. in the comeback with winning Antwerp and making it back on tour. Uh, and the sort of collateral injuries, the sort of pelvis bruising he's going through now worry me just because just cause I've enjoyed seeing him have such a better quality of life, if nothing else, than he yeah. had clearly. Just even seeing him at Queen's Club for the first time last year, walking normally it really struck me like wow i have not seen mm. andy like smiling and walking like a human being yeah, yeah. a normal healthy human being uh, for a long time so i hope he's not doing anything to jeopardize that i will say and uh wish him the best and wish you the best too enjoy your uh two weeks of tennis here you too, man. thank you breathe easy